Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. And hear now the word of the Lord. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. And good morning. My name is Anthony Emerson. I am one of the pastors here at Christ Community Brookside. If this is your first time here, I want to join Paul in saying welcome. We're glad that you're here, and thank you for joining us. If this is not your first time, you may be aware that for the past eight months we've been in Matthew. Um, today is our final Sunday in the book of Matthew, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life, at least until 2017. Um, we're going to come back to it in 2017, and you'll be hearing more about what's going to be happening in the coming weeks at the end of service. But today, we end our mini-series that's covered the last couple chapters of Matthew called Following the King. So we've been looking at what following King Jesus looks like, and that's what we're going to wrap up today. So I'm excited about this text. I'm excited about this message, but let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. God, it seems like we are here in this sanctuary listening to a fallible, finite, broken human being talk about an old book. And that seems like kind of a funny thing to do. And Lord, I, I'm not interested in doing just that. Um, Father, I know that what we need is for you to be present, to be working among us. We ask, Lord, that you would Speak to us through your word this morning. You would give us the ability to understand your message to us, and we ask that you would change our hearts into ones that are ready to follow you even more. In your name we pray, amen. What would you say is the worst feeling in the world? Some might say heartache. Others might answer, no, it's shame. Others might say something different. But I would say the worst feeling in the world just might be regret. Regret is that feeling you get when you just want to take something you did or said back. If I could just go back in time and change what I did or change what I didn't do. But you can't. You just have to live with that failure, that awkwardness that resulted from what you did or said. And there are some good examples of this when Jimmy Fallon sent out the hashtag, why did I say that? So they have this uh, segment on The Tonight Show where he sends out a hashtag and people post on Twitter something that corresponds to that hashtag. So this one, millions of people posted on Twitter something dumb they said with the hashtag, why did I say that? So, things they regretted. So, just a couple examples. One man said, 
was getting a haircut. The barber asked me what I do for a living. I said, advertising, how about you? <laughs> he replied, I'm a barber. <laughs> Hashtag, why did I say that? Another man posted, took my pregnant wife to SeaWorld. Afterwards, while sitting at the pool, I told her that she was my cute beluga whale. <laughs> Hashtag, why did I say that? That's not autobiographical. Um, some of the most excruciating regrets in my life are remembering how my favorite team choked in a big game. Uh, last summer, the Royals were one uh, game away, some of you might remember, one game away from being kicked out of the first round of the playoffs. So they went on, won the World Series, great, yeah. But first round, we're one game away against my team, the Houston Astros. And I, I, I like the Royals. I, w I went to the, the celebration and everything, but my team is the Houston Astros. And being from Houston, I know intimately well the regret that can come from professional sports teams failing you. But nonetheless, I thought for a second we were safe against the Royals. We were up by four runs in the eighth inning. All we had to do was not fall apart. And I could go into the details of my reaction and my emotions, but you guys probably wouldn't sympathize with me, so I'm not going to do that right now. But, obviously, regret is a horrendous feeling. And it's way too often not as lighthearted as what we've been talking about. One of my worst regrets in life is not telling my grandmother how much I loved her before she passed. Being and not sharing the gospel with her before she passed. I'll never get that chance again. I'll never get to look at her and tell her I love her in this life. And I don't, I don't know if I'll see her in the next. I regret that. We all have regrets. Some of us big, some of us small. And when we regret, we normally want to go back and shake ourselves. Slap our own face. Don't do that. Wake up. Pay attention. You can't get this moment back. Don't miss it. And that's what this story in Matthew is doing today. It's a slap to our face. The message is, don't miss this king. Don't miss him. As we walk through this short story together, we're going to notice three obstacles that stop us in our tracks and cause us to miss this king. Three obstacles in the story that reflect in our lives that can stop us in our tracks and cause us to miss fully following the king. This applies to you if you're not a Christian. This applies to you if you've been a Christian for 30 years. So let's look at the story in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. And we'll read those verses again in a moment, but let's set up what's happening here. So Matthew spent the first couple chapters of his book making the case that Jesus is the foretold, prophesied, divine king. Then from the end of those first two chapters all the way to where we are today in chapter 20, Jesus has been traveling around, uh, teaching about life in his kingdom, uh, doing miracles, healing people, basically modeling and demonstrating the power of his kingdom, and gathering followers who will live in his kingdom. That's his ministry on earth. All the stories that you've heard about Jesus in Sunday school, 
are episodes of him proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. Today, we're at, that, we're at the end of that section of Matthew. The next chapter, things change. There's a plot twist. We move on. Jesus isn't going to travel around anymore. He's not looking for followers. He's not looking to heal people. He's not looking to teach crowds anymore. He's going to fulfill his mission. He's going to Jerusalem, the capital, the center of Israel, to do it. That's where his focus is. But in today's passage, there's two blind men. And these two blind men are going to do everything they can to not miss this king. They are the key for today's message. So let's look at what happens in verse 29. It says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. So Jesus is leaving the last city before Jerusalem. He's going to fulfill his mission. We're headed for the climax of the story. He's got an entourage. He's got a crowd following him. He's got momentum. He's going. In verse 30, And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And here we see our first obstacle, the first thing that will cause us to miss this king. Don't let social position stop you. That's, that's the opposite of social position. Don't let social position stop you. One of the most uncomfortable days of my life was when I was in sixth grade and a seventh grade girl asked me out. I was standing by my locker. <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah. I was standing by my locker, minding my own business, and she walks up and puts a folded note in my locker, doesn't look at me, and just walks away. I am not sure what just happened, but I pick up the note, unfold it, I read it. It said something to the, to the effect of, Dear Anthony, I know that I'm older than you. I know that I'm more popular than you. I know that I could go out with any boy that I wish to in the school, but I've chosen you. And that was all it said. There were a few hearts and uh, smiley faces and other primitive forms of emojis, but that was it. <laughs> and this girl's actions, right, were dictated by her social position. Even though we had never said a word to each other, we had never talked, she knew she was popular, she knew she was older, and so she didn't ask me if I wanted to go out. Fully confident, she just walked up, put a note in, Assumed I would say yes, which made for an awkward conversation later that afternoon when I said no. <laughs> it wasn't because I was principled, it was because I was still scared of girls. <laughs> but our social position does things to us. That's the point. <laughs> These two men, they cry out to Jesus. They ask for mercy. They're clearly humble. They're doing the right thing. But what happens they're silenced, they're reproached, they're shunted off to the side, they're despised, they're looked down upon. And why? These guys just want some help. 
Surely no one has a problem with a simple request for help. Why does the crowd react this way and so decisively, so swiftly? It's because of the social, the, the social position of the blind beggars. That's the first obstacle they come up against. The crowd, it says, rebukes them, telling them to be silent, not because they're doing something wrong, but because they are somebody wrong. They're the wrong people for Jesus. He's a king. They're beggars. He's a visionary. They're blind men. He's on a divine mission. They are sitting by the roadside begging, doing nothing. They don't belong with Jesus. They are unfit to be demanding his attention and taking up his time. This is clear to the crowd. This is why they rebuke the men and tell them to be silent. And we actually see this happen throughout the book of Matthew. It's a theme that returns again and again. The outsider is pushed away from Jesus because they're seen as being unworthy, as unfit. You see the disciples push a woman away because she's the wrong ethnicity. You see the disciples push children away because they're the wrong age. You see the Pharisees push tax collectors and sinners away. They're not the right people for Jesus. And Matthew includes these stories, and he includes this story today in his biography of Jesus because he knew and he wanted to show that social position shouldn't stop anyone from following Jesus. All of these people who are pushed away end up being pursued by Jesus. Jesus is no respecter of social position. So if you find yourself lonely or unpopular, don't, don't let that stop you. Jesus hears you through the bustling and the noise of the crowd. If you are in the wrong job, you don't like where you're at in your career or in your financial reality, don't let that stop you. Jesus heard two poor beggars who didn't have jobs. If you're not a church person, if you wouldn't consider yourself a committed Christian, don't let that stop you. It's not like these beggars have been following Jesus before this moment. And in this congregation, it, it might be hard for you if you're a single, because we have a lot of marriages. That can be hard in church in general. But if it's hard for you to be single, I don't know, because we have a lot of marriages, or if it's hard to be of a different ethnicity than European-American, because we have a lot of people who look like me, don't let that stop you. Jesus wasn't married or white, and he's the head of this church. But I also want to speak to those of us who are pretty happy with our social position. And that, that's good. Some of us are content with our job, our friends, where we're at in life. That's great. And I would just say that what the text has to say to you is that don't let that stop you. In reality, spiritually speaking, we are all poor, blind beggars on the side of a dusty road in need of Jesus' mercy. Don't let your social position bring you into the illusion that you're not that. Don't let social position stop you. Don't miss this king. So don't let social position stop you, but also don't let tomorrow stop you. Don't let tomorrow stop you from following the king. 
The idea of tomorrow is the second obstacle, and we won't spend too much time here, but look with me at verse 34. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the last time in the book of Matthew, there's still eight chapters left, it's the last time in the book of Matthew when somebody decides to follow Jesus. After this, Jesus is not looking for followers. He's going to focus on fulfilling his mission. This is the blind men's last chance, and they know it. They have a sense of urgency. They're persistent and immediate in their actions. I mean, why would they want to be blind another day? Do you have that same sense of urgency? Again, Matthew is pulling together these threads that he's been weaving throughout the book, that have run through the book. In Matthew, when Jesus calls someone to follow him, he calls that person to follow him immediately. See that again and again. That's what the blind men do here. When Jesus touches them, they immediately recover their sight and begin to follow him. Discipleship is necessarily immediate. There is no tomorrow in following Jesus. Tomorrow is not a concept that exists in the heart of one who wants to truly follow Jesus. The only thing that tomorrow can be in discipleship is an obstacle to be avoided. Don't let tomorrow stop you. Legend has it that one night the Greeks and Thebes were gathering for a banquet, and the chief ruler of the city at the time, Archias, as well as all the nobles and, and the great people of the city had taken their seats at the banquet table, and the dancers and singers had commenced the entertainment for the night. And there were some enemies, though, during this time, plotting to kill Archias and his companions. And in the midst of the banquet, a friend comes up to Archias, hands him a note from a neighboring friendly ruler, warning him, this note was warning him that he's in peril of assassination. Archias glances at the letter and lays it aside, saying, pleasure tonight, business tomorrow. That night, the assassins who had been dressed as dancers took Archias by surprise kill him and his companions. Tomorrow goes really well with regret. Tomorrow I'll get serious about my faith. Tomorrow I'll turn away from this thing I know I shouldn't be doing. Tomorrow I'll start loving my neighbor. Tomorrow I'll really start living and following Christ. It's all pleasure tonight, business tomorrow. That's all it is. Are you waiting on something or for some time to wholeheartedly follow Jesus? Are you looking for everything to fall perfectly into place before that one part of your life where you're not following Jesus becomes His? Don't let tomorrow stop you. Don't miss this, King. But not only can social positions stop us, not only can tomorrow stop us, but the last obstacle is we also need to make sure to not let you stop you. Don't let you stop you. Now, what does that even mean? Well, let's finish reading our passage 
starting in verse 32. And, and note especially what Jesus asks the blind men and what their answer is. So, verse 32 reads, And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The last obstacle to us following Jesus is found in the seemingly dream question, what do you want me to do for you? And have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? If Jesus stood before you and asked you, what do you want from me? What would you say? Because how we answer that question reveals a lot about who we are. How we answer that question exposes our heart. It displays our deepest desires. It drills down to the real you. He knows what we want and who we are is the last obstacle to us following him, the last obstruction that can cause us to miss him. And so he asked this question of us, what do you want from me? To help us understand this a little bit more, notice the similarities in the previous passage in Matthew 20 with this passage. So in the previous passage, two of Jesus' disciples come up to him with their mother asking for a favor, and Jesus basically asked them the same question. I mean, this is an intentional contrast between the two blind men and the two disciples. Look back with me at verse 20. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? Look how she answers that and how different her answer is from the blind men's. She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. In short, we can come to Jesus, but with all the wrong reasons. With all the wrong desires. The mother and her sons come to Jesus seeking their own glory, their own reward. And we can come to Jesus for selfish reasons as well, but when we do that, we miss true relationship with Him because of that, with no one to blame but ourselves. So what do you want? It is frighteningly easy to want the wrong things. It's easy for you to stop you from truly following the king. But look back at the blind men. The blind men come to Jesus crying out for mercy. They just want to see. They don't ask for glory or for a reward. They don't ask with an air of entitlement. They simply beg for the mercy of healing, the mercy of sight. That's all they want. And this is key. Jesus hears them, he stops, he turns to them, and he answers their request. Unlike the no that he gives to his disciples that have been with him for years, when they ask for glory and to sit at his right and left hand, he responds positively to these beggars who he doesn't know. 
They're covered with dust and sweat. They're disgusting. They're nobodies. All that they do, all that they have going for them is they cry out for mercy. When you get to the point where you understand that all you deserve is mercy, whether you're an atheist or whether you're a longtime Christian, when you get there, then you'll be out of your own way. When you get to the point where all that you want is for Christ to have mercy on you, then you won't let you stop you. What do you want is the question. Are you going to answer that with an air of entitlement, with I deserve this and that, or with humbly asking for mercy? Every request, every prayer being a request for mercy in one form or another. Don't miss this king. Don't let social position, don't let tomorrow, and don't let you stop you from following Jesus. And in closing, the text says that as Jesus was going down the road and the blind men cried out for mercy, he stopped. That's significant. We've been talking about not letting different things stop us, but nothing stops Jesus. We've seen that throughout Matthew. King Herod tried to stop him, killing him as a baby. He couldn't. Satan tried to stop him by tempting him in the desert. He couldn't. The Pharisees tried to stop him. Homelessness couldn't stop him. Even death cannot stop Jesus. Nothing stops the king except when we cry for mercy. The mercy that made him stop on his way to Jerusalem for the blind men is the same mercy that made him stop the life of heaven to come down and save us. Because in the end, it's not about what we do, but about what he did. The king did everything that he could to not miss you. He gave up heaven. He lived among us. He suffered for us and died for our sins. All not to miss you. He didn't let anything stop him from that. Don't miss this king who loves you even to death. And the good news is that this morning, the invitation stands. You haven't yet missed anything. You've not screwed up too much. It is not too late. Wherever you have been, even as we open this morning speaking about regret, some things may have come to your mind. Don't let those things stop you from following Jesus. Don't let anything stop you. Instead, cry out for His mercy. Ask for His forgiveness of your sins. And believe the good news that He stopped. He even stopped His own breath so that you won't miss Him, so that you can follow Him.